Hello, and welcome to The Scott Houston Show. Let me begin by thanking everyone for the feedback, and a special shout-out to Andrew Shelton for inspiring this week's topic. If you have any feedback, topic ideas, or have a different view, please email me at thescotthoustonshow at gmail.com. I rely on your input to produce a better show. Now, I am as much of a hypocrite as the next person, and a victim of confirmation bias. So take what you hear from me with a grain of salt. I started this show so that I could dissect my own beliefs and to become a more critical thinker. So do your own research so you can acquire a more informed opinion. I do my best to fact check what I am saying, but unfortunately, I'm just a flawed human. Today, I will be scratching the surface on the American democracy and our voting process. Voting is a method for a group in order to make a collective decision or to express an opinion, usually following discussions, debates, or election campaigns. One person, one vote. Democracy is a form of government in which the supreme power is vested in the people and exercised directly by them or by their elected agent under a free electoral system. So... Just in case you were not paying attention in history class, the Electoral College is a body of electors which is formed every four years for the sole purpose of electing the President of the United States. Which basically means each state is allowed a predetermined number of electorates based upon the population of that state. This means that it is quite possible for a candidate to win the popular vote but still lose to the votes of the electorates, as we all saw in the 2016 presidential election. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by nearly 3 million votes over Donald Trump, but still lost the election. Now, is this a fair and just system? For example, Washington State currently has 12 chosen electorates, whereas the more populated state of California has 55. Hypothetically, the citizens of each state would vote and the electorates would cast all allowed votes to the winner. The state of Washington has an estimated population of 7.5 million. So let's assume that 5 million, or two-thirds of the votes, are for the Democratic nominee, whereas the other third of the votes are for the Republican candidate. You would think that eight of the allotted electoral votes would go to the Democrat and the remaining third would go to the Republican. You would be wrong in that assumption. The winner-takes-all system requires the electorates to allocate all the state's votes towards the majority winner. Furthermore, most states have laws requiring that the electorates do award the winner of the popular vote. However, they can physically do whatever they please, as the fine for going rogue is a mere $1,000 fine. If you are old enough to remember, that is exactly what happened during the 2016 election in the state of Washington. This means that it is quite possible for a candidate to win the popular vote, but still lose to the votes of the electorates, as we all saw in the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, by nearly 2.9 million votes over Donald Trump, but still lost the election. Is this a fair and just system? Why do we divide the whole country state by state in order to make up the Electoral College? The two main reasons the Electoral College was put in place 
was to create a buffer between the population of the selection of the president and to give power to the smaller states. The Electoral College was also created as a compromise to satisfy the southern states because the majority of the population were slaves at this time. An estimated 70 to 80 percent of the population of the southern states were slaves during the late 1700s. So, they came up with the concept of the Three-Fifths Compromise. The Three-Fifths Compromise was a clause that allowed southern states to count three-fifths of the number of slaves to add to the number of their population for the purpose of doling out more seats in Congress, more electorates, and for governmental taxing purposes. The people of America want to believe that their vote counts as the system implies one person, one vote. This seems to be the case in all other elections besides the presidential one. Why is the idea of one person, one vote, and the majority rules fair for local elections, but not for picking the leader of the entire country? The simplified answer is that the Founding Fathers did not think that the citizens of our country were capable of choosing the correct candidate and could be easily swayed by the charisma of said candidate. This seems to be a clearly outdated and unfair system, which has been in use for over 200 years. And since it would take 39 out of the 50 states to agree to abolish the electoral process, it doesn't appear that any changes will be happening anytime soon. Speaking of outdated systems, I think it is time we take a hard look at not only abolishing the electoral college, but also to allow the use of technology to aid in our voting efforts. Ask yourself, why are we still using in-person or mail-in ballots? Why can't we begin to use an online system for voting? Why can we do our banking and taxes online, but not vote? The main argument is that people are afraid that technology can be hacked. And while this is obviously true, don't you think that there is a stronger case to be made that voting by mail would be much easier for fraudulence than using technologies like blockchain? Blockchain is a system in which a record of transactions are maintained across several computers that are linked to a peer-to-peer -peer network. Cryptocurrencies have been using blockchain for over a decade now, and while it is still technically hackable, its decentralized nature and cryptographic algorithm make it near impossible for attack. So, we are left with two options, much like the presidential election, an outdated system that is susceptible to fraud, or a new set of technologies where the possibility of fraud is near impossible. It doesn't sound like much of a debate to me. It's worth noting that the concept of voting online may be novel to us, but it is not unprecedented. Estonia, a country in Europe, has coined this online system of voting, iVoting, and have been using this system since 2005. The citizens of Estonia are issued an ID card which they can use to cast their vote from any internet-connected computer in the world. This has saved over 80,000 working hours per election. It is also worth noting that the population of Estonia is over 200 times less than that of the United States. How much time would this system save for our country? What's more, you are not locked into your vote once it is submitted. This system allows for you to vote multiple times on the same issue where your last submitted vote is the only one that counts. So, if you were to change your mind after a debate or any other new information comes to light, 
you could change your vote effectively and efficiently. Not to mention, no more standing in long lines and dealing with the implications of using the same voting booth as someone who might not care about their personal hygiene. I am hopeful that the current coronavirus pandemic will allow us to see that using technology for trivial things such as voting is far superior than the outdated system we as Americans still use. An old joke comes to mind when I think about this. If pro is the opposite of con, then progress is the opposite of Congress. While anecdotal and incorrect, I'm curious if the true reason we don't have an online system of voting is because of the fear that the jobs of our elected officials would become unnecessary. And therein lies the roadblock. We must find a way to get a system of online voting into legislature. Wouldn't it be great if the last time we had to stand in those long lines or send in our ballots via snail mail was to vote on whether or not we should be allowed to vote online? Of course, there will be hiccups along the way, but we as humans are very adaptive. Adopting an online voting system doesn't have to be just the way of the future. We can start petitioning for it now. Please, do your due diligence regarding this matter, and you will see just how redundant our democracy has become. One person, one vote, should signify that if the majority chooses, we go with that choice, and not rely on electorates to interpret our choice. I ask you once again, how fair was it that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by nearly 3 million votes, but still lost the presidential election? Look deeply. Take your political stance out of the equation for a second and answer truly. If voting is nothing more than a so-called popularity contest, then the most popular choice should always prevail. Next time, I will be discussing the history of human trafficking. Thank you for listening, and please share the show with anyone who could use a trip out of their own echo chamber. Don't forget to click the follow button on the podcast channel as this helps to grow my show. And remember... You don't always have to stand out, but you should stand up for what you believe in and speak out against those who are hurting themselves or others because it is the right thing to do. If you are interested in checking out a less serious podcast, I started one with my friend who is paralyzed that I met in prison. It is called The Wheelchair Wade and Scott Show. Please check it out.